Yeah. Uh, I, I, well, I take in my special mating season on Netflix is, I guess, um, it's waiting in the waters a little bit of evolutionary psychology and biology and, um, and uh, there's like some animal mating behavior and kind of how how it reflects on us but in a very it's a very i wanted to do it in a very easy to understand very simple kind of um goofy right. way and so it's still uh very silly no i love it. it's like it's hilarious it's like i don't know if i could say like carl sagan ish like that like <laughs> the ideas of carl sagan meets like gary larson or something like that. it's just like very very funny and I just thought it was great. Thank you. Um, did you study science, like, in school? Or? No, no. I I, um, I got into it in a roundabout way. I, um, uh, you want the long version? I can yeah, give you the long version, it. I we guess. Um, and I, and I, I mean, I'm sometimes reluctant to give people the long version <laughs> for fear of alienating no. people. But I started with... Um, when I was very, very, very young, like maybe six years old, I was, and I was raised in a very conservative um, religious household, and everyone that I was, the public school that I went to, all the ch- teachers, as far as I know, were um, very, as at least as religious as my parents, yeah. which is fairly religious. Where are you and, from? Uh, uh, well, I say La Crosse, Wisconsin. It's okay. on Alaska, which is right outside of... The Cross is um, a city that some people have heard of just because they're notorious for drinking. It's like 50,000 <laughs> people, so it's not like some farm town or right. something like that. But uh, definitely surrounded by all farm towns. Yeah. And um, and that was all that I knew when I was that young. You know, it's you, you're in a pretty small bubble. And, and I started kind of um, questioning a lot of things when I was right around six or so, and the answers that I got weren't very satisfying. Or the and questions And I felt like I was being, um, you know, just, just I, I think kids start asking about what happens when you die and yep. stuff like that at a pretty young age. I, I don't think that's like, I don't think that has anything to do with intelligence. I think that is an evolved instinct. Right. That, um, when you reach that eight, I mean, let's face it, six-year-olds aren't saying a lot of profound things that <laughs> yeah. I, you know, they're not changing the world exactly. And your I parents think are just is, saying, you go to heaven. Right, and good. I was very unsatisfied with many of the answers right. that I was getting. Um, and, uh, and I kind of was like, uh, a, you know, I, I, was, I was, when I stopped believing in Santa Claus... <laughs> I mean, I was like four. I was like, it was like so much younger than anybody else that I knew right. stopped believing in Santa Claus when they were like 10 or something. And I remember just always having, it made me a bit of an introvert because I kind of had to, I learned early on that I was like, oh, I have to keep this to myself because no one else is on board with this. It's not a popular belief. Right. And then, um, and then when I was, by the time I was like nine or 10, I was like a full blown atheist. And <laughs> I was like a really dark little kid. Yeah. But I didn't know what atheism was. I right. didn't know that was a thing that you could be. Um, because I didn't know anyone else that was. And I just thought I was maybe crazy. And I didn't tell anyone because I was worried they'd like, 
condemn me to right, hell like or ostracize yeah. me, put me in uh, So, like, out of your friends, you're just kind of, like, the only one who's like, this is all bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> and I never told any of my yeah. friends, really. It wasn't even until high school that I even started kind of sharing a little bit about what I thought with with some people and that was just because we are on lots of drugs <laughs> um and those always help it seems right like. and and so it actually really made me my life rather difficult psychologically for a while um and and like middle school and stuff which i already was dealing with the stuff of like getting picked on some and all of that um and already dealing with the, a lot of the self-esteem issues that the majority of people in grade five to eight uh you know go through anyway right and and beyond yeah and and on top of that thinking that maybe i was a crazy person <laughs> and um and and once i once i found out that there were other people that didn't believe and this was like a legitimate kind of belief system atheism isn't i mean i guess it's a belief system right. as much as anything else i mean science is a belief system in a way um and and when i found out that other people were into this um it was kind of like there was a lot of feelings um there was a lot of like i told you so kind of stuff going on yeah. there was a lot of anger um, there was a lot of frustration. There was a lot of me um, thinking I was smarter than everybody else, yeah. and and um, and and that came at the same time as high school, which just kind of biologically is a time when a lot of people are angsty and right. angry and not agreeing with their parents and everything else. And so and so how that um, how how that natural um, kind of these things that everyone goes through I kind of pinned a lot on um, um, kind of religion right. at the time um, and then I became an adult and I got more interested in I mean I never paid attention in science class or anything at all I, I was very good at math but I never would was science class at a town that you were living in, would they teach like everything? Yeah, by the I mean, book, or I, they mean I don't know. I, I mean, I, I remember having a chemistry teacher that gave us like it was for extra credit because he wasn't really supposed to give us this, but he gave us this fucking weird theory that he has about how everyone's getting dumber because we are all um, Adam and Eve were perfect, and but they were um, they were related. And so we're all the product of incest. And so that's why everyone, that's why we're not perfect now is because of this incest thing oh that God. makes you dumb. And yeah. we're all just continually getting dumber and less perfect um, all, all the way That down. would be extra credit. And uh, yeah, and that was a science teacher, wow. not like a, a English teacher yeah. or something like that. And, and yeah, so I mean, it was big. That's the religion's big business in a small town in the Midwest. Right. Um, and so um, I learned um, 
I was very good at, I w- I've always been like a bit of a natural philosopher. I've always been a bit of a um, kind of a deep um, thinker and and maybe that was because I, I could only think to myself yeah. and be an introvert. So I had no choice but to try to sort things out on my own. I didn't really, uh, and, I, I, and I didn't have that great of social skills or anything. Right. And, um, and, and so that led me to then, you know, want to um, prove people wrong. That was, that was very important to me. I mean, a lot of this stuff seems silly now. I, I've let go of a lot of this and uh, learning to understand where beliefs come from and how they got hum- humans kind of where they are today and yeah. uh, part of an evolutionary history and everything is, has definitely made me um, sympathetic toward uh, believers and I have nothing against believers and everything. But this is this is what I went through at the time. Right, but did anything like influence you? Because I know like for me... Like, I always thought these things, too, and it wasn't until, like, high school where I started listening to, like, Bill Maher, like, George Carlin, and seeing sort of more stuff on TV. I was like, oh, other people think that way. Were you, like, listening to comedy and kind of feeling that way or reading books about it? So when I got into comedy, it was – I wanted to be a stand-up comic before I knew what a stand-up comic was, before I'd ever seen a stand-up comic. Someone just suggested it, and I was like – I heard he told me what a stand-up comic was, and I was like, "Great idea!" <laughs> I'd never seen a stand-up comedian, and then I just watched lots of stand-up. But it was all—I would watch everything that I could, and this was like at best basic cable. So I would watch like I saw every single Comedy Central presents that there ever was. Well, um, even on. Comedy Central and those sort of things back then that that was a view that was not well represented um, I feel like you you would you would catch some senses of it but um, I mean um, atheism and skepticism and and um, the, the popular uh, popularization of science I think have came a long ways in, in the last um, 15 or 20 years or right. so and so and but I was so so yeah I don't think there was any great influence. It started with me just being an angsty little shit, <laughs> wanting to prove everyone else wrong. And I I mean I was always like very rebellious like that about everything. Right. Uh, family get-togethers, they'd be rooting for a football, you know, the Packers, and I'd root for wh- whoever was beating the Packers. Just, <laughs> just to, against just the grain. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, I was always like that, and um, and so. Which isn't necessarily right or correct. <laughs> right. It's just me being a dick yeah. <laughs> um, sometimes. And and so through wanting to prove people wrong, it was um, a lot of um, mostly learning about... I got interested in um, a lot of physics stuff. I was also very interested in technology. So my first introduction to science that I was actually interested in wasn't any class in high school or uh, it was just like oh check out this pop science uh, popular science magazine Magazine, and and see um, what what new um, toys that I might want to buy one day and then happening to reading some other articles and being a little bit interested in some of that other stuff and um and getting into um, physics and a little more and um, 
transhumanism. I was interested in transhumanism, uh, the idea of advancing humanity through technology. Um, I mean, I want to be a robot uh, <laughs> one day. I, I honestly do. So don't feel That's the goal. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I can't think anyone's beliefs are terribly silly. Right. Um, and so, so that led me into. I mean, I remember when I first started trying to introduce some of this stuff into my comedy, is when I really started sitting down and really doing some research and really putting in some hours reading and that was not that long ago um i i was already um kind of established as uh as a somewhat um successful up-and-coming comedian Uh, not a household name i'm still nowhere near that i'm still very long ways from that it may never happen uh which is fine but um but I, I caught some breaks early on, and we can talk about that uh, afterwards if you'd like. But uh, I, I was in Australia doing some shows, and um, and I was on stage doing some jokes, uh, and I tried out a new joke that was about um, a time zone difference in Australia. I, I communicated with a friend. Um, back in Wisconsin that I was in Australia. Right. And he, the concept that I was in a different day than he was, was like crazy to him. Yeah. He thought like <laughs> I was in the future. And so I wrote a joke <laughs> about like me sending him lottery numbers and stuff and him getting mad at me. Yeah. It was just a new joke that I tried. It never, never made it into my act or anything. I just riffed on it a, a little bit on stage. And it occurred to me when I did that, that I was like, wait a second, this is like the sixth or seventh joke that I've said tonight that has something to do with time travel. <laughs> and I was like, why am I obsessed <laughs> with the time travel jokes? And and then just because that was, for whatever reason, something I was not naturally writing about, and I happened to be internationally uh, doing international performances where internationally a bigger thing is like putting together one-man shows and solo shows and right and, and stuff um and so i was like well maybe i should just do a show about time travel that'd be <laughs> funny and wacky and i have a foundation here and i so i started looking into time travel um and uh, reading about it and how it works and that got me into physics uh, hardcore like I'd read a little bit about physics before was just like here's how old stuff really is here's how old the earth really is right you bunch of dummies that, <laughs> that when I first learned about it you know yeah that was kind of what I was learning about it for and then once this happened now I was just trying to build an act um, uh, uh, around time travel and and then um, and then that seemed a little limiting and silly to me. And I was like, well, maybe I'll write an act about physics, which is just a broader subject, and I can put time travel stuff in yeah. it. And all of my physics jokes ended up being, the ones that would work all ended up being like dick jokes. And <laughs> I was uh, I left unsatisfied and probably not putting enough work into it and right. everything else. And... Um, 
and how I got interested in like evolutionary psychology and biology, which is what the mating season special is about. That was a drink of coffee <laughs> that I just took. Was um, I a um, few years ago? I was in. It's actually remarkable how much I've learned in the last couple of years, two or three years, um, because it really changed my life. But I, and I'm kind of obsessed now, but I, I, um, I was in a new relationship. I had just moved here where we're recording. I play in Malibu with my new girlfriend. We're, we're actually broken up now, but we're still oh, friends. Sorry, and that's yeah. why I'm uh, here for a week. And um, at my old place and now ex-girlfriend's place. It's a little strange, but... It's a beautiful um, place. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty awesome. Um, it was sad to give up. <laughs> but... Um, but um, so, I... Um, yeah, I was in this new relationship, and I was, so I was, you know, the beginning of the relationship is a very exciting time, and a lot of feelings and emotional attachments, and a lot, and you're kind of obsessing about relationships, and I was writing a lot of relationship jokes. At the same time, because, um, that this is, a this is pretty funny, um, actually, uh, uh, that this is how I started um, becoming what is now um, a bit of, now skip forward three years I'm a bit of an expert when it comes to evolutionary psychology <laughs> and biology I can yeah. I can I can hold a conversation with uh, some of the top people in the field wow. pretty yeah. easily but um, but it's funny that this is how it started <laughs> because um, I when my girlfriend and I my girlfriend at the time and I had met. Her name's April Macy. She's a funny comedian as mm -hmm. well. Um, we met doing um, this Bob and Tom tour. It's this radio yeah. in the Midwest that's uh, very syndicated and yeah. very popular. And, and we were on a bus together for a couple of weeks. And um, and one day I I got some mushrooms. <laughs> And we're, there's going to be like four of us, we're going to take mushrooms, right? And then one person's like, oh, I can't. And another person's like, oh, I can't tonight. And and so it ended up just being April and I taking mushrooms. And it was her first time taking mushrooms. And we are in Salt Lake City and rocking around and we are having a blast. And then we went back to the bus and we were just like tripping balls. And we were, we were just friends at the time. Yeah. And so we, I, I turned on some um, Animal Planet and we watched like some jellyfish, which is one <laughs> of the better things you can watch yeah. while hallucinating. <laughs> and so, and that was like when we first started kind of connecting. We didn't like actually hook up for um, another week or two, but um, it was like a big connecting thing for us. So once we entered into a relationship, we... Like, as kind of this fond memory thing, we, we found ourselves watching a lot of Animal Planet stuff. Nice. And I happened to be right. Then I would, and I was smoking more weed than I normally <laughs> had because April's a pothead. And uh, I, I wasn't really, but uh, I, or I didn't, I rarely smoked weed. But because I was in a new relationship and, hey, I'm into the things you're into. I was yeah. smoking more than usual <laughs> and writing a lot of goofy animal jokes. So I was 
writing a lot of relationship jokes and a lot of animal jokes at the, at same, the same time. time. And then that got me thinking, maybe I could do something with, like, uh, animal relationships. Because I started seeing a lot of parallels. Then I started doing some research. I started learning about evolutionary psychology and biology. And, um, and it really changed my life. It changed the way that I saw the world. It changed the way that I looked at um, humanity. It really it Im- improved... Um, my life in a lot of ways I it was it really helped me it helped me quit smoking cigarettes um, it helped me start exercising which I've fallen out of since I recently injured myself right um, and it helped me I, I quit I went I quit drinking I was like a huge blackout drinker blacking out every other night <laughs> um, and it really made me um, made me change and look back at past behavior and understand myself more and and why we're here and um, and the various things that drive our behavior and I just got obsessed and so and that's what led me into writing mating season which mating season's rather silly because it was like the first jokes that I was writing when I um, first started learning about this stuff. Like the act that I'm doing now live is a bit more sophisticated, a bit darker, um, and some really big ideas. Yeah. And I've figured out ways of explaining them. And I've just gotten better at explaining um, science to a room full of drunk people, um, and that which has taken me a few years yeah. to figure out. But yeah, so that's how I. That's, that's awesome, the long yeah. story. Yeah. No, that's awesome though, because and you mentioned like there's a lot of parallels in between the relationship jokes that you wrote and the stuff you're watching on like uh, Nat Geo. And yeah, like, yeah. I love that one bit where you're like. You know, ladies, if you don't believe that's true, go to any basketball game, a friendly basketball game between two men, and, like, they'll just, you know, raise the bar, like, dramatically. Oh, yeah, they're just shooting around, not taking life too seriously. (laughs) Walk by in your short shorts and just watch the level of intensity. (laughs) It's so true, yeah. Immediately. That's a great, and it, you know, it correlates and it relays it back to the audience, like, brilliantly. I think that's really... Yeah, and, I mean, one... So the new stuff is much more, like really intense like are you doing like black holes and like no i got out of physics okay um i mean i i'm still interested in physics i think physics is a fun thing to think about yeah i don't think physics can really um at least for me and maybe because it was so long ago that i learned about physics and it seems um a little bit like well yeah everyone knows this stuff now um, and and physics is so popular now. It's yeah. like it's like the cool thing to With advertise and how how smart you are. Exactly. It's like oh, <laughs> physics, blah blah blah, and no one knows what the hell they're talking right, about. Yeah. And um, and and so I've gotten away from that. And and I think, uh, but it's really uh, my new act is a lot about human nature. My new act, I was if there's a theme to it, um, and there's definitely a theme. It's kind of about the um, adaptive function of our negative emotions. It's a lot of um, it's a lot of kind of debunking this um, this um, positivity movement that uh, and these self help gurus that like all you have to do is just smile all right. day long every day and then your life will just work out the way that you wanted to. Right. And don't ever feel bad about yourself. You know, don't don't ever have experience negative emotions. 
and my act is a lot of where those negative emotions come from, how they evolved, and how they help us sh uh, make direct ourselves to make decisions. If I would have had a better fear of heights, I wouldn't have jumped off of a, a cliff while hiking and broken both of my feet earlier this summer. Yeah, God. Um, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So, well, so. that's totally true because, like, I always feel like any sort of mistake I've made in my life or any sort of negative thing that's ever happened, after analyzing it and like looking at it, I've never made that mistake again, or at least tried not right. to. Right. Like, you get better at whatever you're trying to do. Right, right. And and my act is also about the other side of it, about how, um, about why sometimes we tend to dwell on past embarrassing mistakes much more than we need we already learned the lesson come right. on brain let's stop <laughs> let's stop up. harassing my self-esteem yeah I, so so there's definitely two different errors that you can make um one is just being um overly gullible uh and just thinking everything's going to work out and you're gonna have all the golden toilets you ever wanted <laughs> and all of that and then the other is, uh, is uh, it can also be delusional to believe that life is a, this miserable thing and there's no point to anything and, and everyone's an asshole and, and, um, and you're a piece of shit. And, and that, that can be just as delusional. as It's so. humbling to like read all about all this right. like, scientific... It explains a lot of your questions, sort of, doesn't it? Yeah. Whereas, suppose where you were like, "Oh, I'm just an atheist and I don't believe in this," but you don't know why you don't believe in it, right? right? And this sort of explains everything to you. Yeah, and it helped. Uh, it helped explain a lot of where beliefs come from, and um, and just why we have. I mean, uh, a lot of times, beliefs and hope and faith are are things that motivate us to get out there and work harder and um yeah, true. do all of that stuff and so so there's um there's a lot of much deeper things in that too but uh, there there's a lot of evolutionary foundations for why we um have these kind of subjective ideas that we that we sometimes um mistakenly view as objective realities um and it's it's hard to mix the two up. Uh, yeah, it's hard to keep the two apart. How do you like? Yeah, you because know, you got to make it somewhat light to, like you said, a drunken audience at a comedy right. club. So do you do you ever write stuff and catch yourself going, oh wait, this is like way too like cerebral or brainy for a yeah. normal crowd? I mean, I try to keep. I try to when I use big words, <laughs> and I. I mean, actually, it's kind of helped my career that I have a very, very limited vocabulary, <laughs> and I... Um, the bank of dick jokes is always waiting. Yeah, <laughs> I'm a very good analytical thinker. Mm -hmm. I am... Um, my verbal fluency is uh, is subpar. Um, uh, it's something that I've had to consciously try to work on. and um, And so... If I catch myself um, using words that most people would only know if they were reading like evolutionary psychology kind of stuff, yeah, even if they aren't necessarily big words, but w words that are only in that jargon, right? Um, I think is this helping move the joke along, or am I just trying to be showy 
and advertise my intelligence <laughs> and is that going to make me come off like a dick and and so there's things like that there's also i mean i try to part of the reason why i didn't do this stuff sooner is because i didn't give audiences enough credit and i didn't think that if i was in um dallas texas and um doing uh some like hyenas comedy nightclub which is where i'm going back to uh in october um you know i thought i thought well you know maybe these people in texas aren't smart enough to and they're too drunk and too rowdy and whatever else to get some of these ideas and um and i was wrong that was a wrong belief that i held and um and i've learned to uh, I mean, sometimes it's true in a lot of play. If people are, if people are too drunk and people are too rowdy, that that's more of the problem than someone whether someone's smart enough, right? Um, to understand because if if people are paying attention, everyone's pretty much smart enough to get what I'm saying. And if they don't, that's my own failing um, as as uh, stand up. I feel like as that's me lacking as a communicator not people being smart because a, a lot of um like i'm not a big history buff if a comedian like eddie Azard or something like that who does a lot of history yeah. stuff um he could probably go off and use a lot of jargony things and lose me in his act and um and sometimes he he kind of does too and that uh, that's because that's his particular focus right that he's spent x amount of time it's not it's not a reflection of my intelligence and and he does a good job of communicating um uh, history information in a way that people that like me that don't know anything about history um still can enjoy and understand and i guess i've i've modeled um um, a lot of what I do off of that kind of idea, not not necessarily Eddie Azard, uh, although I'm a huge fan and we're friends. But um, but yeah, that that's that's the approach that I'm trying to take. It's interesting. So you've like, because I was gonna ask, like, you know, how does this do? And because you tour a lot, how does it do in like the Midwest or the South or something like that? And you said there's no real difference, right? Yeah, I mean, I think that uh, before I left, so um, in May I broke both my feet and I had to move in with my parents in Wisconsin. And that was like a rock climbing? I was hiking. Hiking. I wish I had been rock climbing. Okay. Um, I would have been tied into something. Yeah. I would have been safe. Um, I love rock climbing. Uh, and it's my favorite thing in the world. And... Um, well, not my favorite thing, but one one uh, uh, physical activities wise, um, and so I had to move in with my parents because I couldn't and clear my summer schedule and I couldn't care for myself, um, and so I spent. It was actually nice being around um, th- um, my family and friends and stuff for three months as I was writing a lot of very sophisticated jokes and thinking to myself, how am I going to communicate? Hey, if I just right now wanted to communicate these ideas to these people that um, have never read any of this stuff and um, might have opposing yeah. um, ideas, um, 
and and so it helped me writing that stuff and kind of in a voice that could get them to understand and I had three of my I I finally did three shows before leaving just a few weeks ago three shows and and this was like around my hometown in my local area and I'm on crutches so kind of people are rooting for me anyway and they yeah. already know me and all of that but I did some pretty challenging stuff and everyone was on board I mean people weren't just laughing to be laughing to be like I gotta fit in I have no right. idea what he's talking about right now yeah. I can tell the difference that happens sometimes yeah and I see the look on people's face and I'm like ah oh, I gotta back off a little bit um, and uh, and I I did three of the best shows of my life in you know the middle of the country in nice. front of people that um, that maybe some New York and LA comedians might be like oh these look at these uh, hillbilly idiots that wouldn't understand yeah um, this and that it's like well you're probably attacking them yeah. with your material <laughs> and not actually saying Engaging. anything interesting right you're you're probably just trying to tell them why they're wrong and not presenting a new point of view um, it's interesting so you're like because it's so hard I would imagine to to write material about you know just questioning you know existence or going against religion to not be cynical and do you like like how do you sort of stay away from that like how do you relay this message in a positive way i guess even though yeah um i mean sometimes i am cynical i still i still have those um without attacking like you said yeah right sometimes i still am and that's when i fail Mm -hmm. um and uh but it happens i have my own biases and and um lead me to make mistaken beliefs of my own sometimes and I mean I guess I try to remind myself of that and remind myself that some of these ideas I'm just learning for the first time and some of this stuff does seem absolutely crazy I mean uh, it it's I, I I could talk about like sperm competition and like crazy penises and that insects have that do like these insane things and to look at that and understand how and why they evolved would seem completely asinine to anyone without any kind of a background of of that stuff. So right. it's hard to I feel like it would be hard to go into a comedy club and the guy before you is doing dick jokes. And then you're trying to, you know, go into and that makes it these di- ideas. That does, sometimes that makes it difficult when, when the guy before me is like, hey, this guy's shirt's gay, yeah. and this guy's shirt's even gayer. <laughs> and then the audience is like, oh, my God, this guy's a genius, and just fucking going ape shit and loving it. And then I get up there, and I'm like, so we have these cognitive biases, and people are like, what the fuck? And sometimes it is... I would say that's more of an issue than anything of just like getting people to shift gears. I, I right. think eventually I might just be doing solo shows um, or having openers that I'm booking that are doing interesting things, not necessarily smart things, interesting things like my um, or or. Not, I don't mean not smart. I mean about like sciencey that stuff. Yeah. Uh, like um, 
uh, I think an ideal opener for me, even though it's music and music can be very difficult to follow and, uh, and he's a tremendous act, but would, and who would be difficult to follow, um, is, uh, is my friend Zach Sherwin, who everyone should look up, uh, because I think he is going to be enormous one day. Uh, he has, um, he has, he does some epic rap, um, rap battles of history videos which i don't know okay. if you've ever seen yeah, those yeah. but they get like 20 million yeah yeah that's like him he, that well he does a lot of those okay and he writes like both sides of them right, and wow. then like performs in them and um and some and that's that's like mostly his full-time job now writing some of those but his regular act is uh like him just doing comedy rap is some of I think some of the best stuff out there if you're into Zach music Sherwin, and comedy yeah. and definitely check them out and and it's and it's just it's very clever and some of his stuff's very cutesy and it's very he's not really saying anything he has great jokes about like bees being scared <laughs> of bees yeah. or I mean great raps about like being scared of bees <laughs> and stuff like that that, that are like mind-blowing at the same time and really about nothing it's like the opposite of wu-tang clan (laughs) (laughs) scared a friend of bees (laughs) and and, um yeah yeah he instead of killer bees he's writing about being scared of killer bees um and someone like that for an opener would be awesome like someone that's not doing a bunch of hacky stuff and someone that the audience isn't expecting me to be like that right so they're ready to shift gears would be great. Um, sometimes people aren't ready to shift gears once there's been X amount of time. Well, where do you me. where do you perform at usually like around LA? Would you hit the store more often or Um like? I first off I don't do much in LA. I'm okay. mostly a hermit when I'm here. I do the comedy and magic clubs some here and there when I'm through town. Yeah. And then um, and then I do some of the indie venues, mostly the indie venues. Okay. I'm Reluctant. I do the Comedy and Magic Club because it was kind of set up for me, and I didn't have to work or do anything, and um, and they're just great with working for me. Yeah. I'm not going to go back and break into these comedy clubs and like uh, have to like prove myself and do these auditions right. and do like fuck off i just don't care that much about yeah. your club like it's not <laughs> that big of a deal to everything. me yeah that I, to, uh, like i i did the uh, i once was at a club and had to like audition at like four in the afternoon i didn't know <laughs> what i was walking into or i just wouldn't have done it yeah for like a bunch of other people that were auditioning for spots at this club. that's the worst and yeah. I'm like well i'm not i'm sorry i'm not doing that it's not that i'm too good or believe that I should be on your stage. Maybe I'm not a great fit for your club. Right. Maybe you have a billion acts better than me. And so book those people. Uh, what I'm not going to do is fucking humiliate myself <laughs> and, and be treated with such disrespect. And uh, I, I expect the same level of appreciation that I have for. I appreciate working at the comedy and magic club and i think they and i feel appreciated yeah they, those i mean mike lacy loves comedy yeah but like that to what you mentioned like i tried to do the comedy store like five weeks in a row yeah. and you wait in line out of like 60 people on a monday night like they're, they're, that many people are just waiting oh yeah and you, they pick 15 at random random yeah, in yeah. quotes and you know they all have like somebody in 
on the inside, I think, or just like putting them on the lineup. But, but it's like you're performing in front of other people who wanted your yeah. time slot. Yeah, so I they're not going to laugh anyways. I mean, I would much rather, um, even if I was starting out, I'd much rather just do um, little dive bars and stuff that other comics are putting on. Yeah. And and work my and hone my craft that way. So where did R- you rather than of- to be that disrespected right um and and um and so so i do a lot of the indie like i i like the like meltdown west side and, and meltdown. West, west side yeah cool. i just did west side awesome. and i'm i'm doing UCB ucbs tonight and and well where did you sort of like like pay your dues i guess like were you in in, LA boston. Guy? in boston okay yeah so a lot of like bars and were you doing comedy clubs would you say in boston or yeah, I did some. I mean, I started at an open mic in a dive bar um, in Dorchester, Massachusetts, um, which was, and we can wait for this siren to go by <laughs> so you can, um, it might be distracting, but um, I, st- yeah, it was this dive bar. It was in this very dangerous area, and, and, um, I got mugged at gunpoint outside of it one time, Jeez. and and, um, and it was a true open mic. I, I mean, I this was like, uh, if anyone's like, this guy didn't pay his dues. If you would have seen this place, be like, oh, you paid your dues. <laughs> uh, I mean, this is just like it was dangerous Strong, even yeah. to go there, and it was it was later condemned the whole building. Um, and the, that sounds the like bar a, and everything. I, I started at this bar too in San Francisco, and it later got shut down by like health and oh health yeah, and yeah. And I always describe it to other comics, like, what was it like? I was like, it was exactly the cantina from Star Wars. Like, just terrible people walking through, and you get, you know, robbed. There's glass bottles being thrown. Right. Just like... But even then, it was, you know, you sign up, you get on, you might have to wait forever, you might have no one listening, and everything else, and it's going to suck, and you're going to suck. But the guy booking it wasn't like didn't act like you should be sucking his dick for doing it for you know right like suck my dick and come uh, for for three months or so and then maybe i'll give you a three minute long spot um and and i never ever like begged and pleaded for sets i never did bringers i just refused to do any of that shit yeah and um and so then i started in small clubs and then other comics liked me and recommended me to bigger clubs and um and i was kind of off and running right away i just had a lot of support from the local comedians i mean it's all just about comics helping each other out yeah usually gets people more than anywhere it's like i was talking with my agent the other day and like strategizing and stuff and my agent's like you know you you got to start because i'm a bit of a hermit and he knows that he's like you gotta start getting out more and you know you know like being more social with the comics because they get tv shows and then they think i haven't you know it's like so you're telling me you can't help me (laughs) 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 that's what what you're saying yeah why am i I can only do stuff on my own which is a lot of how this business works yeah well then, I mean Boston's a great place for comedy. Were you in Boston for a long time? And about seven years, six okay. years or so. Wow. Yeah, I guess six years as a comedian. Did you do the New York thing too, like back and forth? Yeah, I go down to New York here and there. I was always meant to go down more often, but um, I was always broke, and it was always time consuming and difficult and hard to take off work. And um, 
that sort of thing. So I didn't do it. I didn't do the New York thing a lot. Yeah. Um, again, it was like I would go to New York and I'd feel very disrespected other than when I was doing the indie clubs that uh, the comics are booking and stuff. Yeah. Um, and got to feel, even if it wasn't like, thanks so much for being on, I didn't have to bring 20 people. And, <laughs> and like, that's a fucking scam. Yeah. That's, that's a pyramid scheme. I heard flappers is running. like that out here in Burbank. Yeah, you yeah, just like yeah. always have to bring a huge posse with it. Yeah, right. So... But, I mean, you said you wanted to be a comedian before you knew what a stand-up was. And you said, like, you are like, a natural philosopher, like, in your head. And I was, like, I always heard uh, Chris Rock, and he was like, I hate how all these young comedians are always going out in little groups because they're always talking and they're never in their head. And he said, like, to be a great comedian, you have to always, like, you have to live in your head, basically. Yeah. And so, I mean, when did you do your first, like, open mic? Like, how old were you? When you sort of realized that you could do that. Yeah, I moved to Boston and I just did, it was about 11 years ago now. Um, not, not quite 11 years ago yep. um, in, in Boston. And, and also, I mean, I, I tend to be more, com- I, I tend to be a little too comfortable just being in my own head and sitting and reading books and doing writing and everything. Yeah. And I, uh, especially now that I don't drink, I actually don't get out and I need to network more. Like my yeah. agent said, I need to, so everyone has different problems right and, uh, well how old were you when there's different extremes you did your first um so i would have been um I, it was just before my 24th birthday 24th birthday okay yeah yeah cool. so and then um took me about three years to catch a big break um I did got, you have your voice like pretty much set right away or were you still yeah experimenting i had with stuff i had my voice at the time figured out within a couple months wow um so my voice has changed. Yeah. My personality has changed. I've changed as a person. But I did have my voice at the time. And that's a lot, a lot of comics are like, oh, it takes so long to like find your voice. It's like, well, uh, hopefully you're growing as a human being <laughs> throughout life. And maybe your yeah. voice does change a bit. Right. Um, and, um, and, and some people might be... Um, disappointed with that I'm not the same um, one-liner um, drinking joke uh, um, guy that they uh, loved in the first place but um, but but yeah as far as far as finding I was I spent two months my first two months I did a new five minutes each week and I was terrified and I was just like reading off of a uh, paper um, for the first like five times and and like once in a while a joke could get a laugh and I was always a good writer mm-hmm. and a horrible performer I feel like I still have a ways to go as far as my performance goes um, but um, definitely writing is my strong suit yeah and and it's what I feel most comfortable doing um, but I think that um, I so so about week six I was like okay I'm not using the paper today I, I'm just if I forget stuff I forget stuff and still bombed and everything but was feeling a little more comfortable and then when I was two months in I did my first set at um, I had actually done one six months earlier, but I had no idea what I was doing, and and uh, it was it was fine, but it was kind of awkward, and it's like 
very uh it was just fine I yeah. didn't bomb or anything but um and so I did my first what I consider my first set at like a legitimate comedy club the comedy studio in Harvard Square which is a showcase um club uh, which is what most of LA clubs are showcase where there's like 10 acts rather than Was that the one with Ron Lynch in Harvard Square? Or no. That he ran it. No, okay. No, Rick Jenkins is Rick the owner okay. and good friend. And um and and uh yeah, good guy who helps out a lot of new um up and coming comedians and gave me a lot he gave me a lot of wonderful guidance and and a little bit of tough love here and there too, which was necessary and helped shape me and as a comic and and um yeah, just a good dude with a good club and a real passion for comedy and um and appreciates young performers and and so two months in I had I was in a comedy class at the time that's uh, and um it was actually the teacher's open mic that I had been going to yeah and the graduation show was back at this comedy studio which is like the hot hip club in Boston right if you want to check out a live show in Boston go to the comedy studio it might not always be good but it's always interesting and there and and it's the it's the place in in Boston where you're most likely to see magic happen on stage <laughs> and also most likely to feel very uncomfortable sometimes <laughs> but um, but that's one of the yeah. great things about the place I went there, I had like the set of the night, and there was like some other more seasoned comedians and stuff on, and I just had a fantastic set, and the local comics uh, were like, whoa, that was awesome, will you do that at this other club? And, nice. And uh, I was really off and running right yeah. away, and and um, I was never terribly comfortable on stage in the beginning. Um, hell, sometimes I'm still not, but... Um, but, but two I, months had, is like, I had my voice. That's very quick. I had my timing down yeah. really, really well. I had um, a really great delivery. When, thi- when things went wrong, they went really wrong. <laughs> and when, like, I didn't know how to deal with hecklers and that sort of yeah. thing, and <clears throat> which unfortunately is a thing that you do sort of have to learn after time. Uh, hopefully one day that will be the case that we don't have to learn how to deal with hecklers yeah. because it's should be an unnecessary skill. It's not like actors that are doing movies have to learn how to deal with people yelling right. at them during their performance, and if they did, their performance would suffer for it. But, um, But then you said three years, and you caught your first big break? Yep. Um, what was that? Was it like a TV spot, or...? How about... Two years in, I was in the Boston Comedy Festival. Oh wow! Um, and I made it to the finals, and um, that's amazing. Yeah, and then some HBO people saw me, invited me to um, the HBO Aspen Comedy Arts Festival in 2007. It was the last year that it was happening. Um, well, they didn't know that at the time, but it was uh, it was the biggest festival in the country. It was a very big deal. All the industry people were there and TV people and scouting new talent and all of that. And um, and the new people were like, um, it was like John Mulaney, oh, Kyle wow. Kinane, um, uh, Ian Begg. Wow. Uh, like, um, I mean, monsters. That's crazy, uh, yeah. Uh, uh, like, really, really great people. Um, uh, was uh um 
Matt Bronger, I believe. Oh. <laughs> um, Did you come uh, up with all of these guys? Like when you? I mean, here? I didn't know that. It was yeah. like my first time meeting them. Was there? Um, That's so cool. And and I won an award for best stand-up. Oh my comic against Congrats. all these wow. people that are like absolutely amazing <laughs> and they're now doing so much better than I am <laughs> and deserve to be. They're all fantastic uh, acts and fantastic people, at least if those people that I named. Um, and I mean, uh, yeah, Ian Bag, uh, Kyle Kinane, like those guys are yeah. monsters on yeah, stage, yeah. yeah. And but you beat all of them. That's awesome. Yeah, I yeah. beat Mulaney. He now has his own show. I know, yeah. Uh, that's like billboards all over after writing on SNL for X number of years yeah. and like already being like doing awesome. He has his own show, and uh, here I am, like basically living out of my car. Uh, <laughs> and that's not to say that I'm uh, bitter. That's to say how how uh, uh, how funny this. Uh, career can be i'm super happy for those guys yeah um and i think they are just better than i am <laughs> um but but um and i and and this was i was only two and a half years in some of these guys had been at it for 10 years or so uh already like dan mintz and um right and people like that and um and so the Conan people were there. They saw me. I got an agent and manager that were there. And, and I mean, I had my pick of so many agents and managers. Awesome. And I didn't know who was who or anything. Were you on the original and Late Night Conan? Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So that was my first TV spot. It was just like probably a week before my third year anniversary of, of doing stand-up. Wow. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah, and then they had me back and back again, and I've done it five times now, and and um, and so that kind of launched my career as a full-time comedian. Very cool. Yeah. And you, what was like your last like real job, I guess, if you had to say before your full-time comedian? Yeah, my last real job was I was working. I was a temp laborer. Um, I did a lot of construction work and factory work, and. Um, and I, as I was getting closer to becoming full-time as a stand-up, I took, I did a lot of temp work as a construction worker, and I was working out at the site. Um, and this story is going to seem a little long, and I <laughs> promise you there is an epic payoff at the end. <laughs> um, and so uh, I'm, I'm working at the site for months, and, and um, people, they liked me there, and kept on having me back and and there there were these security guys around that i got to know and knew i was a comic and i goof around with them a little bit and i was like man these guys don't do anything all day long and so i asked them for a job <laughs> and they were like sure you can do security instead I'm like that's fantastic <laughs> and so my job and this is just like an illegitimate security company really i mean they were technically a security company but it was just to offset the liability insurance if, if, oh. if you paid to have a security company for this big you know it's 20 apartment buildings that they're building on one lot yeah there's multiple lots that they have so they pay just the minimum they can cheapest <laughs> security company they can find 
that then they actually save money on like liability insurance so it was basically like they didn't give me a uniform or anything (laughs) they were just like sit here in your car don't do anything don't say anything to anybody and you're like technically a security person that's on the premises (laughs) and that's all that you're there for they give you like a gun or anything no no nothing (laughs) so what were you supposed to do if anything nothing Call the real police. Just, yeah, just call the real. <laughs> they didn't even just sit there. Like it was just for liability purposes. Yeah. It was just. Uh, it was a joke of a job. It was just one of those bureaucracy things. That's awesome. So you get and, to write jokes. Like and so I just sat and write jokes. Sometimes I would just. Um, I'd I'd pick the overnight shift and then I'd just go off and do comedy spots around <laughs> and then just go back there yeah. and I'd be there in the morning and and. Um, it was awesome, um, and um, so I was doing this, and then I got the call to do Conan, and so so the site that I was doing quote unquote security at <laughs> was um, an old um, insane asylum that oh. they that they had torn down most of it and were redoing it and turning it into these apartment buildings. And so this was like, there was like a documentary made about this place because it's supposed to be haunted yeah. and, and all these teenagers would always go up there drinking and stuff. And so this is a popular underage drinking hangout. And so, um, and so that was part of what security was supposed to do too, is like keep these underage drinkers out of there. Yeah. And um, so anyway, the night that I was on Conan, um, some teenagers snuck into this area through these fences and were probably drinking and whatever else and they turned on the gas on a few of the unfinished buildings and they blew up two buildings oh my god and they um two big apartment buildings that were like 50 units each or something oh my god and um and and the buildings around it were all like the the side uh, the windows got blown out the siding Jeez. had melted everything else on it collapsed and uh oh yeah they exploded <laughs> like these buildings exploded and were the kids hurt i mean they ceased to be no i don't know how they yeah. did it but i don't think they were and um and then there's like a fire from it's up on a hill and so like a police driving by sees these fires he's dispatching you know the fire department and everything else and driving up there with his lights on gets up to the top gets up to the gate and the security guy is sleeping in his car (laughs) with like all these fires and stuff going on behind him then they looked into that security company decided they weren't very legitimate didn't have a lot some of their paperwork and so then that was no longer a company and I no longer had a job, and I found myself um, having just done Conan um, and looking for a new job, and I was just like, fuck it, I'm just going to be a comedian, I'll just try to make it work, and I'll just be poor for a while and get yeah. some credit cards, and that's how I became a full-time comedian. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so two buildings were completely blown up. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the changing, defining moment, I guess, where right. you realize it. That's awesome. As my career was exploding. <laughs> yeah, just launched you to the next part. That's so cool. So, I, I mean, that was your first Conan, right? Yep. Were, were you nervous or 
you yeah a little bit uh i was excited i mean i was i was pretty confident when i got out there and did a set and by now it's your fifth time so the last time you were on it was just like super relaxed Uh, yeah for the most part i don't know i the first one i was almost more comfortable than anything because i was just on such a ride of like everything was just going great for me yeah i was like well i guess this is how my life's gonna be Whereas um, now it's, I understand the reality of it is that I have to nail it every time, and um, yeah, you know, and so there's almost more pressure now than there was back then. But um, but yeah, it was I a mean, good does thing. Conan like me. recognize you? Do you guys like yeah. talk or hang out? Yeah. yeah, yeah, he's he's a good guy. He's a cool guy. Yeah, yeah. I was always wondering because like he's great because he always brings comics on, and like that's like one of the only late night spots. Like and him and Jimmy Fallon that do like stand up regularly. Yeah, but I was yeah. always curious because he Fallon never doesn't do it. He never regular. really did stand up. Like so, I was always wondering like his, you know, view. I guess. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know where um, where he stands and why and why he likes stand up so much. But um, I think it's. Uh, I mean, he usually tells me that it's just like, it's nice for him to have um, stand ups on, especially over guests that he sometimes has like more serious guests on too. Yeah. Um, like the last time I was on, he had some guy that wrote some history book on and it's just like what he's interested in. So it was nice to have a stand up come out and nail it and not have to worry about making laughs himself. And right. All of that. So, well, I mean to go back to transitions, is it hard to go on, you know, do a crowd after some guy's been talking about like history book or something like that? Cause you don't really have, a I don't know. There. There's a commercial break and everything. Yeah. It's a, it's a weird situation. There's people watching. Um, is the crowd uh, ready? Kind the, of. I mean, the audience isn't ready for a stand up comic because they're like hoping there's a band there and they're <laughs> there to see like, they're looking at the monitors and they're so they're not even looking at you. They're oh. often like looking at the production, <laughs> up, yeah, and looking at the cameras and that sort of thing, and fascinated right. by that, and um, more interested in Conan and everything else, and looking at his desk and seeing what he's laughing at, and making sure it's okay, and and uh, so yeah, it's a weird detached kind of a feeling, but it's fun. That's awesome. Yeah, I mean, I loved your last set you did on Conan. I thought that was really great. Oh, thanks. And I don't know. I've even heard like your earlier stuff, and you're really just transitioning a lot and evolving as a comic. And I think that's so cool. And I I never really thought about it until now. And you're totally right. Like, why would you want one voice for your like a 20 year career? Like, it's kind of weird. Yeah, to still yeah. talk as if you were like 20 years old or yeah. Whatever. So like, I mean, part of me is like, um, do you have like, do your fans grow with you? I guess is my question, or do you like, how do you? I hope so. I yeah. mean, I, I don't know. I don't get to you talk to cater. my fans about uh, about it. And I mean, it's weird because as a comedian, in a way, you have to be selfish because you can't make predictions. I I don't know who's listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. I don't know that. Um, Oh, hey, April. We're, we're just wrapping up. Um, Hello. I don't, I don't know who's uh, listening. I don't know yeah. what exactly they're going to find interesting and funny, and I don't know, you know. So the best that I can do is just talk about things that I think are funny and interesting. Yeah, very cool. Well, so. Thank you so much for talking to me today. I had a great time. Absolutely. Thank Thanks you very much for having much, me sir. on your show. Good luck with everything. Thank and you. And nice to uh, nice to meet you. <laughs>